That's a question a lot of Australians have been asking in the aftermath of Ball Tamper Gate, uh, the incident that shocked the cricket world and filled our newspapers for a very, very long period of time. On this episode of Generation Balm, we speak to acclaimed and respected sports writer, Greg Baum. Greg joins us to discuss the issue that everybody's been talking about, Ball Tamper Gate, but also a number of issues that revolve around the ever-moving line that seems to be so frequently spoken about in Australian sports. We speak about the ethics of sport and how it changes with society and time. We even touch on a very controversial issue in Neil's past uh, that may involve the 1973 Grand Final. We also speak about My Kitchen Rules, somehow, American politics, Pope Francis, travelling across the USA by train, AFLW, and a host of other topics, which really sums up Greg's character. He is a very warm and interesting person, and this chat is very invigorating, and I really hope you like it, so please subscribe like, whatever you want to do with the episode, and uh, we'll speak to you soon. Hello and welcome to another episode of Generation Bar. It's uh, been a few weeks, hasn't it, Neil? But uh, what's, been, what's been going on in your world? Oh, we've got to change it to Generation Bar. <laughs> <laughs> Some other name. <laughs> that's other crazy BAUN name we've got coming in there. I'm actually... We're related. Yeah, I've always, I've always wondered that, but I don't think there'd be a... I mean, clearly spelt differently, but is there any... Uh, is there well, any way we could be distantly related? Well, there could be. I think yeah, certainly there's uh, part of our origins is England via France, and it may well be Greg's as well, but we'll have to ask him. And I'm not sure uh, if people will be that interested about the ancestral uh, no, lines and farm, but I, I think we were exiled from uh, France back in the, the 12th century. A bit later than that. A bit later than that, yeah. Again, probably not interesting to anyone. Minus the bombs out there listening, which is probably the majority of our audience. So. Uh, but there ain't many of them. That's the beauty of it. Well, uh, yeah, again, you've probably introduced our uh, guests to uh, the room we call the Generation Bar War Room. Uh, but we've, we've got Greg Baum here, and um, I think the question we generally ask a new guest is, um, how would you describe what you do and who you are? Uh, well, I'm not French, we'll start with, uh, with and Neil, um, a little bit further east by Germans, refugees, I'm a sports journalist and pretty much that's what I've been all my working life. So, so when did you get started in uh, sports journalism? It started with those, uh, well, I started journalism with a local paper that we weren't right in Baronia. Uh, and I didn't set out to be a sports journalist, but I've was that found a bugle. It was the uh, Knox Sherbrooke News. Dignified one now. And I, uh, it was only after I began in journalism that I realised my two great loves in life coincided in the same thing, which was sports and writing. And so it flowed pretty naturally from there. And when I was able to hold down a job, that's what I've done. Right. And uh, in terms of qualification and building towards that career was just straight into the paper or did you, you know, these days you're going to do a course and then a master's and then... <laughs> yeah, that's these days. I think it was those days. So <laughs> I'm, I'm from uh, probably the last, just about the last generation of journalists that went straight from school and uh, did all my training on the job. Uh, in suburban papers, then you, you got a very quick, you got a crash course in if you did it all. Um, and we're almost back to that in, in daily papers yeah. now. <laughs> Um, it, it's become a little embarrassing over the years to, to answer that question because, as you say, everyone has, 
just about any job now, you, you have to at least got that little bit of paper from your uni, and, and I don't have it. Um, my three sons are now all more formally educated than I am. Yeah. <laughs> I think you might have a reason now. What's it called? Recognition of prior learning. Yes, <laughs> yes. You might get the but it's actually, uh, I hope it's interesting to other people, it's interesting to me to look at where newspapers in particular are going. You know, I'm older, so I'm used to papers, and part of the ritual of my life is walking out in the morning, picking up the paper, reading the paper. But I know now, when I read the age, particularly, that there's going to be some stuff that ain't in there because where's it printed, where's it, et cetera, et cetera. And, and it's a much skinnier paper than it used to be. And all the stories we hear are that there's so much of it, there's almost no news that, that's paper news yeah. because, it, like, nearly every story's been yeah. kind of written. Yeah. Like, and I often, you know, I, I feel sorry for, you know, you know, the footy show do this thing on Thursday night at night, but they try and break a story. Yeah, and I'm thinking there's no story that can last till Monday yeah. Thursday. So you kind of uh, have a left-handed go at them in a sense, but you feel sorry for it. And it must be similar for you. And I know it's a bit different for you because you're more of a feature writer than a newsbreaker nowadays. Yeah. But for the poor old newsbreaker, I think it's easy. Which is why probably we get some of the you know the noise that we get. Well, I just make the story. Yeah, and sometimes it's not necessarily the story, but it's probably the best, it's the best story we got at the time. Okay. Where, where do you see it going? Well, uh, the, the whole progression or regression has been from print to online. That, that's clear, and I could, I could give you hours on, on why that's come about, um, the, the primacy of the internet over everything else. Um, for a long time, that looked like being the death of papers altogether. As recently as three or four years ago, that's our management at Fairfax was talking along those lines. Um, just lately, there's, there's been a slight swing back, and I think largely due to Donald Trump and the rise and rise of fake news. Uh, in America, they're certainly finding uh, that people are turning back, um, not necessarily to the print product, print paper and print magazine, to, to those organisations that put out printed products because they, there's a sense they can trust them. Well, they, 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 want to get, they want to get the real story yeah. again. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we're yeah. just starting to feel a little bit of that effect here. I'm not saying it's going to save papers. I mean, you know, fact that technology tells you that's where people, most people are going to get their news and media uh, going into the future. And, and yeah, for younger, uh, I was going to say younger blokes, younger men and women in the game, um, it does create the pressure you talked about. Uh, we saw it tonight when Steve Smith announced by Twitter uh, his decision not, not to challenge with the clear Australia ban. Uh, and then, then the scramble begins to get that online. Now, you'll put it in because you're tagging on a story online if you think it's going to last five minutes. Yeah, yeah it's amazing. Isn't it? <laughs> Just to show that you have I must say that. The things that I like to consume mostly are the ones that actually tell you the real story, but I would only read one of those every couple of days. Yeah. But I suppose that might be the trend in the sense, like there's a piece written in, someone will say there's a piece written in yesterday's age that said there was this, you go back and read it, you know, yeah. what you, you know, a lot of people would have already read that online, but I like, I like the smell of it. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. it still gives you the chance to tell the full story. And, and lucky enough, there's still enough people who are over mind now that, that, that what I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm acting as sports editor this year. And uh, so all the complaints come to me now. And, <laughs> um, the, the bulk of them are from people saying, um, I understand what's become a papers, I understand the online rules, but I still like my print edition, mm -hmm. uh, sort of like the feel of it. Can I please get the night for it, isn't it? 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I've noticed that that trend actually, and is that was that just a conscious decision to push it to online in terms of not um, having the reports of the night games? No, not at all. Um, Partly, I can't answer your question. Okay. Of course, of course. As we've got more and more technology and more sophisticated technology, our airlines have come forward instead of going back. When I started in papers, when I started the daily papers, uh, you could get a story into the sun as, as it was then, into the first edition, if you filed it at 11 o'clock at night. Now, if you haven't filed by, uh, by 6.37, it won't get a run, and there are no later editions. That bit I don't yeah. understand. Uh, yeah. But the more general explanation is fewer resources. Yeah. Our papers are now printed in Ballarat. It has to be shipped back down or chucked back down to Melbourne once it's printed. All that plays into it. But we, we would love to uh, have them every pretty much and every night going in there. Um, of course, that's, you know, that's what, what people afford to. It's the fundamental. But there's a certain irony, is there, that because of the technology we've got, it's easy to put something online, but it ain't that easy to put it in the paper. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's a lot of people that more issues of funding, I think. I think they're working against us. Guns are working against us here. Before we get to the inevitable uh, topic of the ball tampering, I was I was just thinking about sources. Then I've been studying um, my masters in teaching, but, you know. But um, the whole history teaching history is all about identifying your primary sources and your sources with most validity. Yeah. So it's funny with the fake news Trump era, how that's kind of like it's so relevant now that it is all about. Your sources or your best writers or the ones you trust the most. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think the best definition of journalism over there is, is the first half of history. So, so for, for as long as people took journalism relatively seriously, um, that's what it was. So it wasn't perfect, and there'd be mistakes. And I'm sure you know you could quote a thousand times when, when you read mistakes in the next day's story, but it was the first effort to yeah to, yeah. to get that story out to the world. Um, but that got uh, poisoned really by, by this other effort to just create, to totally make up stories yeah. and, and yeah. push them around. And, and, well, again, before we get to the inevitable story, what, what drew you to journalism in the first place? Like as a kid, was it just wonderment or? Uh, but I, I, had, I had to answer this question uh, not so long ago uh, for a classroom of kids and I looked it up um, and I, my first memory of being fascinated by newspapers was when the Southern Aurora, the train that used to run between Melbourne and Sydney, crashed at Violet Town in Northern Victoria one day. Um, I think there were a few casualties, obviously it was a big drama at the time. And I remember reading that in the, in the age the next day and just being fascinated that this totally underwater event that had happened not 24 hours previously was there in all its detail and on, the, on a bit of paper in front of me. The interesting thing about that is, um, in my memory, that I was always 12 or 13 when that happened. When I look back now, I was nine. Really? Uh, <laughs> all, I, all I can say is, from nine years old, that's what I wanted to do. Uh, I, I do recall, uh, remember when 9 11 happened, a similar sort of reaction in me and a lot of my classmates, where every day the paper was just so, there was so much gravity to, to what you were reading or what you were seeing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so now when you think back to that, Oh, I must admit, the greatest recount I've had is the Berlin Wall. I, I remember seeing that first on TV and then reading this stuff about it. That was quite mm. amazing. Uh, it made me want to be someone who was telling that story yeah. so I could see how that 
what it's fine. But we've done from building of the wall or we're pulling down. Very funny. Oh, 60 mothers in there. <laughs> Which I think some, I think they kept that a secret. I saw them pulling down. But the thing I get I think I get a bit kind of gnarly as I get older. But I get really disappointed with with the media companies. And particularly and I'll it's not just because you're going to say this, but it seems that like the, the people who run News Limited could have, could have such a marvellous impact on what happens, but it seems to me like four times out of five they go the other way. Yeah. They, they write the shit story or the, the bad bit or the easy bit. Now, and their argument is, well, people are entitled to know, and their other argument, which they don't use, which is clear, is that more people buy this, therefore we write it. Yeah. And for me, I sit back and go, surely we have a responsibility to be better, better than that. And I know when you talk to each individual, I often talk to Mike Sheen, and he said, you hate all journalists. And, no, I don't. I don't hate any journalists. <laughs> well, what I don't like at times is what they have to do. Yeah. And that, that's kind of, that's what I mean by that. I reckon, I reckon we can be better at it. Well, we at Fairfax at Gage, um, we, we're on the edge of falling into that trap occasionally because um, the one thing you can measure on, on the internet is the number of prints you get. And then there's a very simple way of working out whether the story is, is appealing or not, whether it's worth telling. Um, and so I think at times we've, we've bordered on that and most of us who work inside the tent don't like it, but haven't been able to um, curve it in any way. Fortunately now, they're working out that war hits isn't really a great measure of Mm. A worthwhile story. So we're now saying to measure how long people uh, read stories yeah. for. But, but, but even that, I mean, I, I get that because it, it is it's the only way you can quantify it, whether it's worth something. But in a way, I feel as though we're more the people writing it have more responsibility to say well, we should write what we should write, not what they want to read. Yeah. Like we're gonna, and I maybe you can't take that responsibility. Maybe I'm hoping for the, the utopia, but it seems as though we can do that. And particularly, like I watch TV on free to air TV, and there'll be four shows on at the same time that I reckon are absolute crap. <laughs> like, I can't watch it. And I'm like, is, that, is that because I'm getting old? Or is that just because, like, it is just no good. Uh, and then I watch something really worthwhile on one of the other funny-looking, you know, ABC yeah. or something or something, and I think, I'd love this, but I reckon nine out of people, ten people couldn't be bothered with yeah. it. And maybe it's because we're not presenting it often enough to them. I don't know. I don't, I don't really know what I'm saying. Suppose, it, it is oh, a, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, but, but I do fear a little bit that it's to do with the, the changing of generations. And, um, uh, yeah, people, people say... Always back on us. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, but see, I... I, well, again, well, yeah, so, well, yeah, you're, you're right. Do you like the shows that I, I, he doesn't like? I don't, but I'm going to challenge your thought there. Can you remember back to when you were, let's say you were 20-odd, and free, if you were watching free-to-air TV back then, was it all quality or were we talking like there were just more shows oh, no, that... Was, no, I don't know. I, I'm, this is not... I haven't done an yeah. exercise of working out whether this is right or not. I just know that right now that it seems that we just pitch it to the lowest so, common denominator. Mm. Enough of these dickheads will watch this. So let's, <laughs> let's, let's set it out. We'll get, we'll get two million people watching... Like the, the notion is two people never met each other. Let's marry them and let's be surprised when it starts up. <laughs> and, and, the, and the weirdest thing about that is they call it reality TV. Oh, yeah. one thing it's not. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. correct. Again, maybe that's funny once, but I don't find it funny like week after week yeah. after. I think, I think the big issue. It's supposed to be funny, I guess it's taken. So, although then one about your sister, who's a really intelligent woman, 
watches it all the time. Brigham's is terrific. Now, that's, mm. obviously, that's a relaxation. Yeah. So maybe I'm being too hard. I hear, I hear that a lot from people, though, and very intelligent people uh, in, you know, whatever backgrounds they're from, just seem to say, I just need a release. I need to watch some trashy TV. And I'm thinking, I don't know, maybe my trash is footy, like watching footy. My partner is exactly like that. She, she's a smart woman. Uh, she's won more journalism awards than I have. Um, I, 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 I'm saying that makes her smarter than me. Um, <laughs> and she, she says exactly that. She, she watches not necessarily the, the reality shows, but you know, from the old days, Sex in the City. And yeah. I can't even think of the names because I don't watch them, but it's exactly what she says. That, that it's her relaxation. Really it's her yeah. chance for her to close her mind down completely. So I've got to, I've got to accept that. Yeah. Well, yeah, so do I, but I'm, I'm struggling. <laughs> I reckon we're going back with you. Well, rock out of our team because I'm tired of watching something. So that's something that's probably. I suppose they're also um, a bit of a victim of the fact that uh, tighter resources and more competition because there is the Australian quota of how much TV has to be Australian made and a lot of it is now justified as the block. I kind of get that, but there must, there must be a better way. It's a, it's a bit like saying the banks care about their customers. Well, they don't give a hoot about their customers. <laughs> they spend millions of dollars telling me what they care about their customers. They don't really care about their customers. They care about how much money they make and how much return there is on their shares. And they don't really, I mean, the normal person, no, no great help to them. No. By the way, so you can bring them on. Yeah, so again, that's not. Just, just yeah, to cut in a point, well, I just like to just like to we're shout out our uh, yeah. I was about to say that we're, we're sponsored by um, Commonwealth, but now we don't. We don't have any sponsors. <laughs> we got no sponsors on Generation. Not anymore, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I suppose we should uh, talk about the the ball tampering incident. Um, and I read a couple of your pieces uh, during during the week, the week that was. Yeah, no, but we're we're quick at lovers. Yeah, it's most. Most uh, Australian now, I suppose. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, Neil and I were watching the um, the ABC News was just on full uh, James Sutherland doing his press conference, and then they went you know around the country and all that the reactions. But what was the process of you like getting that news and then writing your piece? Because I know you've you've written pieces in the past that are pretty critical of the Australian cricket team. Mm. Oh, I, I, I wasn't watching at the time, um, so I woke up to it on that Sunday morning. I, I guess most people in Australia did, and um, they did what? Not not so much the tampering. When I first, my very first reaction was, "Oh, that looks ugly." When, when they start the footage, mm-hmm. but then to hear that they come out and said, "Yeah, we did it." throwing themselves on the mercy. Yeah, yeah right. we thought it might give us an advantage. We'll never do it again. Yeah, and, and, and the naivete in that moment to think it would stop there. But it's, Steve Smith was saying at that point, it'll never happen again under my captaincy. And I think I was thinking like most, your captaincy. So it was quite startling. So, so be, before you get to that, so like... We know what like you you don't know what happens in footy, but you've got a fair idea. You see see how it all works, and you see what support there is for the coaches and the players. And you know, it's obviously a discussion before anyone says anything most of the time, just yeah. because you're representing such a big organisation. It looked like there was no one giving them a hand. It looked like there was no one actually sitting there saying, "You know where this is going to go." Yeah. I need to say, "Is this like it just didn't look like that happened at all?" But they have a media officer on tour, and she she was there. I don't know. Uh, 
I don't know her role in this. No, no, that hasn't become public yet. Whether she, yeah, I don't want to see them be critical of anyone, but it's just the way it looked like it was. Not I don't know whether she advised him to do it or not to do it, but I gather uh, we had a story on this this morning that Steve Smith insisted on speaking that night mm. when, once he knew the footage was was public, and that Cam Bancroft said, "Well, if you're going to speak, I'm going to speak too because I did it. I'm not going to leave up there by yourself." So that, I understand um, that's how it took place. And probably if they were the forces in play, then even a, a, a very senior media officer probably could have dissuaded Smith and Bancroft at that yeah, But what, what would happen in, in our circumstances is some of these sitting there say, okay, what are you going to say? Yeah. But if you're going to say that, this is what it's going to look like. Yeah. Where, where are we? Who, who, who do we talk to? Do we talk to the performance manager or the coach or someone to say, well, how's this going to look is what yeah. we do. We wouldn't just let them go out and say, oh, we thought it was a good idea at the time, we won't do it again. Uh, and I don't think that conversation happened. Clearly not. <laughs> I, I think the press conference was around about an hour after play and in that time there'd been an ICC hearing um, in, into Bancroft and, and, and a, a verdict arrived out. So you, you presume from that it all, ha- it all happened pretty hastily. Well, they, and they might, they might have been naive enough to think that what the ICC said, said is what is that's it. Well, you can almost understand it from their point of view in that yeah, the tri- all, all tampering itself isn't that uncommon in cricket. Mm. We know that um, the, the, the most grievous offence here is taking a, an object out onto the field mm. with a specific purpose of tampering with the ball um, and, and, in a way, plotting it. I mean, from what we know now, it was, it was a pretty hastily conceived and <laughs> ill-conceived plot, but it was uh, a plan that was that was made. So you, you can almost see, especially from Steve Smith's point of view, that, um, that well, if we own up to this now, um, then we'll cop our medicine. And, and I really try to uh, imagine being in the room uh, when the chat was had. And, I mean, we know some of the details. We'll never know the full details, but just imagining... Like what was the justification and and why they were going to uh, bring it out into the uh, the ground? Was it just a I, I've done this before for local cricket or whatever, and I brought out the sandpaper, and then it's like oh well that sounds like a good idea, or was it more like well stuff you know with David Warner, what's happened there? Was it something to do with that? Uh, well, that that's to some extent that, that's how it's been portrayed. That there was build up of tension and anger within the team because it was, it was a pretty ugly series all around. It was mm. nothing as, just about to remember. And at you know, a certain level, Warner, who we know, I mean, his character's been pretty clear to us over the years, who's seething the whole time. And, and then this session had run out of control for them, I think, but so it was a bad short session. And so um, he, he described it and others have described it on his behalf as, as a series of events that are all linked to each other. I still think there's a last hurdle you're jumping over there when you're going from anger and and um, frustration to cheating. Yeah, the interesting thing is the whole ball tampering thing. Everyone says, oh, it happens a lot more than we think. And the truth is, there is legal ball tampering, which they do all the time. Yeah, like you, you get the spin on the ball, you get the shine on the ball, yeah. you get to do all sorts of things to them to make it work better for you. Is that reasonable? And we all play cricket. We know it's an important part of if you're a bowler, that's what you need to have it. And otherwise, you're not going to get anywhere. Yet. Unless you're a spin bowler, you want to be probably more than that. <laughs> but I think most of us, are, I think we're relatively naive to the fact that, it, like, do they actually cheat when they're doing it? But then you hear that Faf Duplessis has been knocked off twice for one with a zipper and one with a 
that. So I suppose it does happen more often than we think. Yeah, I'm of a, of a, of a minority school that says, what, what's wrong with roughing the ball up? If, if you're allowed to sign it, you're not signing it to make it a beautiful thing to take home and say to your kids. No, it's mm. signing it for a particular purpose and roughing up is, is the same purpose. And in a way, be it on your own head because if you rough up a ball and it doesn't swing, all you've got is a very old ball to play with for the remaining four yards. So I don't have great objection to it, but the, the fact is it's against the rules right now. Yeah. Well, um, you, you, we must have objected to the fact that you take out some sandpaper. To take yeah, and, 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 that, and that's what everyone says, oh, you know, it's a very serious 12 months or whatever, but what, what do you do with you? Yeah, and, and you, you, you can't forget that there was a penalty applied for the ball tampering, and that was relatively minor, a mm. test for Smith, um, a fine for Bancroft, and that's not why they're yeah. being suspended by the Australian yeah. that, That's the answer for that. So, Which I, I sit here and I feel a little uncomfortable. I've, I've, <laughs> I've been in footy for a long time. I've been through a lot of eras. Yeah. And I see regularly what happened when I was a player. And I'd probably, I mean, if, if any of my players behaved on the field the way I did, I'd be saying, what the hell are you doing? You're going to get, you know, that, that's not what you should do. So I try to put the test back at myself and say, what the, what was going on then? What was I thinking? Was it that bad? What, 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 what? And, and, and as we all do, we see the decency of ourselves and think that that was just what happened at the time. But there's probably, there's a little bit more to it than that. But how close is, is whacking somebody when you're, when it's clearly against the rules and it's to your advantage because you know you're not going to play as well because you're going to be you know, concerned or intimidated compared to taking a bit of sandpaper out and rubbing it on the ball. And I only ask myself that question because I, like, you can't <laughs> pot everyone and go, well, what, what, what mm. did you do? Have you, have you ever done anything that wasn't quite as ethical as you would make yourself mm. out to be? And clearly that's probably true. But I, I must admit, I, I've never kind of seen it that way. Well, I've spoken to Lee Matthews about this. I've heard him speak, and he quite often says, well, it was then, this is now. And it wasn't him just deflecting. It was, I don't know, I've got, I got no answer for it, he says. That's just what happened. Yeah, well, he's, he's often said, you probably were only played two-thirds of the games that you did play, if you were trying to play them this time. But then... Yeah, I think I, I would have been in the negative. <laughs> <laughs> but, but would you? Because I think... You do live in your times and you're playing yeah. in your times and that, you know, your instinct might have been to go around and whack a few blokes and I was certainly one of the fans who was watched you play them behind the couch. <laughs> <laughs> but the smartest people adapt to their times and, and these are the Well, times. That's, that's, I justified myself by saying well, I, I never played with any kind of anger or never any yeah. nastiness in that I wanted to hurt anyone, but it was just the, the way of the game needed that aggression. Yeah. Which was required, and then you know, Tommy never said go and do this. But the implication was, if we're going to play seriously, the other team are trying to intimidate us, they're doing all these sorts of things, we're going to be in this game, yeah. Um, and I, I kind of I think I took that seriously more in a subconscious way than anything else. But I only say it because I it would be very easy to say, well, hang on a minute, you can't be critical of these people, and you probably were in a similar position yourself, yeah, yeah. Now, speaking about, we're talking about the sort of the line, I suppose, and a few yeah, of your pieces, right. you have spoken about the proverbial line or the, the, the ever-moving yeah. um, line. And even this week, <laughs> even this week with um, with uh, Joel Selwood, there's been all the chat about is he, is he you know, taking, uh, manipulating the rules or, um, but like, I suppose how far, how far can you push it without it going, well, this is bordering on, you know, 
bringing the game into disrepute or something oh, along those that's, lines. That's, that's, I don't have any answer to that one because there's uh, almost two reactions, isn't there? There was a moment early on, on that, um, in that Easter Monday game where I think was it was someone tackled Joel yeah. Selwood. Yes. And, yeah, and, first, yeah. and to, the, to my life, to my eye, um, I thought, uh, oh, yeah, he's, he's played up to that. He's, <laughs> he's not giving me a free kick. He's got him on the neck because Selwood created that. But then you see the slow motion replay and you see this degree of skill in it that he mm. twisted, lifted up his shoulders, moved and took the ball out in front of him and suddenly the tackle was going around the neck. And you sort of, you have to admire the skill. <laughs> Um, but at the same time, wonder if, it, if it's reached the right outcome. It's funny enough for me because I'm, you know, I've got such admiration for Joel and yeah. I spent so much time with him. You know, he's nearly my favourite person in the world, in a sense. Mm. I can't see him doing. What do you mean? Doing anything. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I can't see him doing anything wrong. But I see other players playing. I think, oh, he's going. He's going for the too high. I think, oh, mm. maybe, maybe, maybe. Um, but it is. It is. It, well, yeah. I suppose it comes back to you, you talk about the line for, for as long as sports being played, uh, sports men, coaches, uh, and women now have seeked to go as far as they can go um, w- without actually crossing the line. Mm. That's what you do, every little advantage you can get. My, my objection to the cricket uh, depiction of the line is that it doesn't exist. It's yeah. just. It's 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 I must say, I'm a, I'm a Geelong supporter, so um, probably coming from this from a biased point of view, but. When I hear people say that Joel Selwood ducks, I go, he doesn't duck. He, <laughs> as you said, it is a skill what he does. Yeah. But I can see from the other side, I've watched players like Luke Shuey and and, uh, and that type who who did very similar thing. And I think I'd probably rush to going, well, he's ducked there. Yeah. So. Well, it looks like a cheap free kick, doesn't it? It does. The other side, it looks like it looks like a cheap free kick rather than a cleverly earned free kick. Yeah, yes. Now, with Smith, Bancroft and, and Warner, uh, where do you think uh, it is? Where do you think they go from, from here? Well, as we said here, um, probably only about an hour or so ago, Smith has announced by Twitter that um, he's not going to challenge the, the band, which I, I think is really admirable because whatever you think of what he did and whatever you think, whatever you think of the band that he got, He's entitled to due process, and there mm. was a process, and I think he, he could have followed that process um, without losing any favour with anyone. And that, that's the least you're entitled to, it's almost a legal precept. Mm. Um, but he's chosen, and, and said, I haven't got the tweet in front of me, but the effect is Cricket Australia have given me this ban um, as an example, uh, to set an ex- example to the world, and I'm prepared to abide by that, so I'll do my year. I think he will come back, and I think he may even come back as captain eventually. Um, I think yeah, the interesting line was uh, Greg Dyer's line saying we should let them play shield cricket, which I, I hope they go down the path of making it a bit easier for them to yeah. give something back to cricket mm. without being in test cricket, without going to get the huge day and all that. You know, so they're yeah. still suffering the penalty. It would make some sense to do that now if they don't, it's not the end of the world. But it does show it's... Um, 
there's a thought about whether whether sports are business or sports are sport. Yeah. Well, sports sport. Yeah. Because you see, in, in in business or in law or in business, the rules are admit nothing, make them prove everything, and yeah. the answer is the answer. Yeah. But as soon as you get into something that is driven by all of us, whether it's footy or cricket or that sort of thing, you, you can't play by those rules. And yeah. I think one of an example that we've seen very recently is James Hurd. You couldn't get a better player. You couldn't enjoy yeah. watching a player more. You mm. couldn't admire a person more. A really intelligent man, loved his footy, great to watch him, except when he was playing your team. <laughs> yeah. And through that really challenging time that they went through, he clearly has taken the view, taken his, well, it looks like he's taken the, the legal advice of admit nothing and make him prove everything. Yeah, there's obviously there'll be some points of his argument that he will say he was sort of batted on. Yeah, but clearly what's happened is because he's taken that view, he's he's, given, he's been given no slack at all. Yeah, um, and that's I think Smith's people have probably seen that and say, well, there's no point of living this. Whereas you see yesterday, Warner comes out saying, well, I've got all my advisors, let me know what to do. Like he's had one day of humility and the rest of it is, and now I'm fighting back. Now he's entitled to fight back. Yeah, but there yeah. may well be a price to pay for that. Yeah, which clearly Smith's he's recognising. And, and I wonder whether, and again, I'm not speaking to James Hurd, who you admire so much of what he's done, would he would he now say, well, maybe I shouldn't afford it that hard, even though, you know, I probably wouldn't, it wasn't as fair as, as I reckon it should have been. If I hadn't afforded it as hard, I would have been a lot better off. He's, he's now Judge of Cronulla now, in a <laughs> sense, rather than... Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I think maybe the difference between the two is but my impression of Hurd always was that um, he... Never at any stage uh, felt or accepted that he'd done something wrong. Well, I think in the outset he did. I remember vividly he said that it comes to both stops with me. Yeah. And again, we shouldn't be speaking on behalf of James because there's probably just sure. a million parts about it. But because yeah. we're in the same business as him and we see it and we yeah. have empathy towards his position, that clearly that's what's. And he's, they've obviously shut up shop and gone, oh, I take no responsibility, not no responsibility. Have to prove everything. And nothing's ultimately proven, yeah. but he's suffered quite significantly for it. He opportunity to be involved in virtually anything yeah. in a public sense, not just for you. And, and that's right. I mean, he still carries the stain and, and, and no doubt the hurt. Um, since Smith now, in, I guess, in two forums has begun the process of healing mm. much sooner at that sort of excruciating press conference when he landed back in, in Sydney, yeah. which he said, um, yeah, he was asked a question, what, what, what's your lesson out of this to kids, if you like? And he said, if you're even thinking about doing something against the laws of your game, think twice, stop and think about it. So there's one uh, degree on the step to healing, I suppose, of the wound between him and the public. And the other was today to say, I accept that legally I could pursue this further. Um, Quite rightly, but but there's a there's a greater need, there's a greater purpose to be served here, and an old copper. Do you think uh, if Warner challenges the appeal and it, it's sort of a drawn out process, do you think his reputation? I mean, it's already been harmed um, severely, but do you think his reputation sort of almost could be completely and irreparably broken? Yeah, well, I think he much more than Smith is in an all or nothing position. Mm. There was a hint of that in, in his equally. Difficult uh, press conference, uh, what 24, 40 hours, uh, mm. 48 hours later, when he when he said, um, uh, "I accept there's a possibility I won't ever play for Australia again." Um, uh, prima facie, 
there's no reason to say that. He's 31, the band's done for a year, and he could have four good years after that. But it, I think he understands that there's a much harder set against him. He's mm. uh, kind of priority blame in a sense. Yeah, yeah, so but he might be thinking, or his advisors might be thinking he's got two QCs on his case. But um, that, like in, that, in that case, they might as well challenge and see, see if they can actually... Um, yeah, I think they would, they've got the boy with the barrow. It's all in front of them, but, uh, but maybe that's what they're thinking. And with, I suppose there is that distinct difference with James Hurd... You are the. I mean, you've coached before. When you're the coach, you're in charge of everything in football. Yeah. But when you're the cricket coach, it seems like even I remember back when John Buchanan was coach, Warney would pot him and yeah. say all this stuff, and then there'd be Ian Chappell who said cricket coaches are irrelevant, that sort of thing. Well, I spoke to both Ian Chappell and Richie Benno in the old days and asked them because I was a footy coach. What do you think about the coach in cricket? They thought it was the largest thing that took the players to the game. They <laughs> didn't try and there was a place for the coach at all. Yeah. Which is so that and so it's it's come a long way since. But there's certainly you know, because the question about uh, where's the coach's responsibility, yeah. notionally you feel as though you say, Well, if he didn't know about it obviously he's he should get yeah. Sack or should be in trouble. And if he didn't know yet, he probably should do. Yeah. You know, yeah. In a way, yeah. so, and, and I and I get without really knowing yeah. probably not. But mm. Oh, it should have had more either influence over what they did or understanding what was going on. Well, I think that's, you know, he, he's, when he submitted his resignation in the end of that resignation, I genuinely believe that he didn't know what was going no, on. No, I, just, I don't, yeah, I, I, he's not, he doesn't seem the sort of bloke to me who would be bothered telling the lie. No. You know, like he's, no. he's that up front guy's arm, yeah, yeah. yeah, we spoke about it, and, sorry, but I'm out. Yeah, he accepted, he accepted the great responsibility that you talk about. And that has changed. That changed a lot since um, you know, for all of cricket history. The captain was absolutely the guy in charge. He, uh, he almost drove the team bus. Which is an interesting <laughs> thing. It's a very unreasonable thing to expect one of your players to be that in a way, isn't it? And that, that's yeah. why great captains are such great captains in cricket. Yeah. Because they can, they're the coach, they're the team manager, they're all those things together. And they're, they're the psych almost. Yeah. When, when they're any good at it, but if they're not any good at it, it falls apart pretty quickly. Yeah. I mean, it's a real challenge for me. And which is, you know, when you look at Steve Smith, you say, is he the bloke who, I, I'm not sure that he'd be that good a captain if he didn't have a coach, only because he's a relatively immature, not immature, young bloke. Uh, you know, credit terms to use. Yeah, so. I, I agree with that. I mean, he, he, his sin, what he's got a year for is turning the other way, saying, or almost saying, don't tell me about it. Yeah. No, I don't, you can't imagine. I'll, I'll be happy when we get reversed. <laughs> <laughs> you can't imagine an Ian Chappell um, no. taking that out of it. Uh, for better or worse, he would own that moment, not just yes. perspective. Yeah, just I suppose on um, back on AFL, uh, what's your response been to the AFLW introduction and how do you think the AFL have handled the whole introduction of the Women's Professional League? Yeah, it's funny that it feels like these are contradictory thoughts. In one way, it feels like it happened too quickly, mm. uh, with not enough thought into the uh, the rules, um, the difference between men and women in playing footy. But another, it feels like it's it's twenty years too late. Mm. Um, and I must admit, um, my, my opinion changed dramatically on this in in the first year. Uh, originally, I thought. Um, the, the, the hoopla that accompanied the announcement of the AFLW originally, I thought, 
Yeah. It's the AFL, the AFL have just invented women's sport. No, women have been sport until <laughs> now. That's the way they make it look. But when they started playing, and I had conversations with any number of women I know, from you know, women my age to, to their daughters, um, and I, so many of them, uh, and for example, uh, I told you I'm acting sports editor now, it's because sports editor Chloe Salto is on maternity leave. So, and, and speaking to her and her contemporaries, um, they'd love to play footy. They loved footy as kids. They played at a primary school. They got to about 11 or 12 and they were told they couldn't play it. Mm. And I always thought girls, women, went off and played netball and hockey. Uh, because yeah, quite willing, because that's yeah. what they wanted. <laughs> and then it occurred to me, thick as I am, that it was no, because the door had been shut to them. And all of a sudden it was wide open and, and you could see the almost tearful reaction to it. So after that, I thought, Okay, I'm going to cop it for whatever it is. It's obviously the spectacle, the spectacle is not nearly the same yet, but I'll cop it for whatever it is because it's actually opened up a whole new. Well, I'm very, I'm very similar to you. I'm, I'm sitting back saying, Where's this going? I've been in footy forever. Yeah, I can sort of see it. And it wasn't until I, you, you saw the pure delight yeah. and joy that the girls had in playing. I think this is surely. And, but it does, they love it. Yeah. And they're so committed. And it's a bit like. I think we all probably watched a bit of the netball in the old days and just admired how committed the girls were and how they played because the women approached it slightly differently in a less kind of, uh, you know, um, they, they treated it more seriously almost than, than the men footballers did Yeah, because it was, a, it was sort of rarer, if you like, yeah. and the women footballers are the same. Yeah. Just, and you go, oh, this is... And I'm the same, but I'm, I don't know where the game's going to go. Is it going to play for itself? Any of those things that have to be asked, yeah. all I know is that it's a bloody good idea because yeah. they love it. Yep. And the, the good thing about footy is that the, nearly half of the people who actually enjoy and watch footy are women. Yep. And forever they haven't played. Yeah. Just well, it so, mm-hmm. like, so it actually makes, it just makes sense. And the, effect that, that the effect goes right down to the sky, which I, I didn't have realised either. I'm involved with a C-grade amateur club where you know, you know, my son Nick plays. Um, and they, at the end of the season two years ago, they sent an email around the members and said, this is because the, the Amos had just announced they're going to try and start a women's conference next mm. year. They had none to that point. And they, so they just circulated the members and saying, is, do you think there's any interest? Could we get any interest in a women's team if we're going to put one out? The next day, they had enough players for two teams. Yeah, it's, and they yeah, fueled that last year and they're doing that again this year and they could nearly do three. Yeah. But equally instructive are all the old blokes around the club, my age and older, who are watching this um, in wonder and bewilderment. <laughs> they're all saying, should have happened years ago. Yeah, that's the yeah. same thing at my my club. We were playing at NFL. Well, the girls were playing in the NFL and they've made the move with a bit of a legal battle to, to the amateurs. Yeah. Um, but it's just completely changed our club from... The, the culture to the mentality to it's uh, a acceptance, isn't it? Yeah, so you, you know, behave. It's a bit like giving women staff into footy, which didn't happen much, and now it does. It changes the way you, you see your uh, club, it changes the way you behave. So going, going back to an earlier conversation, there is a downside. Uh, Nick tells me, and a couple of the other guys tell me that on the Thursday night, the selection night, when they put on a big meal, the room's 
crowd would be unbelief. <laughs> exactly. Like, the TV up in the corner and the, the guys want to watch the footy show and the girls want to watch my kitchen rules and, watch, and they win. They've got the numbers. <laughs> I was thinking the other way there. there. There used to be a lot more seconds and thirds for uh, the pasta meal and now there's, there's just less food for everyone. <laughs> no, it's great. And I suppose that... that Shows. I mean, I, I'm of the opinion that the professional league, yeah, there's a few, definitely some tinkering, but it will be 10 years before it's a league where you go, you know, the quality of the teams will be filled with girls who've grown up with footy rather than the girls who are playing a little bit or coming into it later on. Yeah, I think it, yeah, I, I think it will surprise us how good it is, but it will take a while. But when you, when you look at the female athletes in all other sports, like, you know, we're about to see the couple of games, and they're not female. They're just athletes. Mm. Yeah, they just happen to be females, and that that yeah, that's what will ultimately be. Not that it isn't already, but you know, they'll, they'll be just better. They'll just get better and better yeah. and better. We know that. Well, Dave Pierce does a bit of writing for us. Yeah, and what a beautiful player she yes. is. Yes, well, she's beautiful to watch. But she says, "I likely won't get a game in, in ten years' time." And yeah, I thought, "Oh yeah, um, that's just uh, how she. Uh, that's how well she hopes, I guess, more than." Watch another Mitchell uh, on Monday it was pretty handy. Oh, Tom, yeah. he played very well. But what, what, what do you think is the biggest story you've ever, or not the biggest, but the, the story you're most proud of uh, during your time in sports journalism? Oh, look, there's, there's one that sticks out and it wasn't even my idea and, and, and the fact that it turned out so well isn't really any great credit to me, but uh, I've back um, over 20 years now and a uh, good weekend with a magazine that comes out in the age on the weekend. The, the then editor had an idea uh, to get a, a test cricketer to talk through an innings. Every detail, what he was thinking before he went in, what he was thinking was out there, what he thought afterwards. I was on tour with Australia and in India at the time, and I had a good relationship with Steve Ball. Um, I'm not really sure why, because we're, we're quite different, but yeah. we got on fine. Um, and uh, both like, miserable and mad. <laughs> <laughs> Competitive base. We made, we made about 10,000 test runs in 20 We are related to him distantly, you know, or William distantly. Yeah, yeah, like, seventh like, cousin. Seventh cousin. Is that right? <laughs> Something like that. There's a tunnel now. <laughs> Not quite. Anyway, so I'll put it to him, and he was on board with the idea right from the start. And he just um, they they played a one-off test in Delhi, which they lost um, after getting bowled out and checked in on the first day. And then he played a long, long second innings of, of about seventy not out. They tried to save the match in the end. They didn't save it. Um, and I sat down with him. Uh, about a week later in Bangalore by the pool and we talked probably for two and a half, three hours about that innings and I wish I'd kept the, the take because yeah. the story was quite good enough but, but the takes were even better for all the stuff that in the end had to be left out of the story. Um, what he, you know, the fact that um, in the first innings when he made a duck he he didn't have his little red hanky out there and he fretted about that and then when he was preparing himself to bat in the second innings he thought how stupid is that? Why would I fret about a thing like that? So he put that out of his head. Um, in the first innings, he'd been watching on TV in the, in the, cha- in the dressing room before he went at the back where it was a spinning wicket 
and the spin was massively exaggerated on TV and he got that into his head. It's going to be a nightmare. <laughs> Waited about the second innings. He didn't watch TV. He just sat in the plays there and watched it live. So he didn't have that phobia in his mind when he walked out. So all those little details that went into the playing of the test innings. And I guess the and it ran as a cover of the weekend and I guess the affirmation of the story is that I know quite a few test cricketers, Australian players who for quite a while afterwards carried that story around, taped to the inside of their, of their coffins. They, they carried yeah. their kit around in just as a remind them what yeah. the mindset that you need, you need to play test yeah. Was it, Were there details of uh, how the Indians sledged uh, Steve when he was out there or were they? <laughs> yeah, there was chatter, yeah, but it yeah. was more, uh, yeah, I don't think they sledge like Australian sledges, <laughs> but, but they do uh, tend to give up a high level of patter. <laughs> but did he even talk about how he put that out of his head too? Retaught himself lessons about how to play Kumble. He, he, he mm. first thing he thought, I can't play this bloke. In the second innings, he, he'd read about how the South Africans played him not as a leg spin bowler but as a slow in swing bowler. Right. Because that's really the style of it. When he, when he started playing him as a slow in swing bowler rather than a leg spinner, he did play him. It's a fascinating game, isn't it? I mean, even Matt. I read about Matt Renshaw recently. Had uh, he just went out there and he was batting in the Sheffield Shield, and he had a, a song, it was "Childish Gambino," yeah. and the whole time he was just going on loop. Yeah. I actually tried that in our semi-final and made five, but <laughs> <laughs> I thought to to yeah. that's that's all right. Yeah, but it's just uh, what do you think the best uh, test match you've ever or test series you've ever covered would be? Watching the game, maybe it's a 
It's real life, isn't it? Yeah, yeah well, it's it's real, real life is yeah, quite boring most of the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, much very true. It's always going to end up in a real life, so it often just ends up in a troll. <laughs> that's and, that's and probably why. plays an almost disproportionate part in yeah. well, it's, weird, it's weird that I love cricket, but I also love this game of footy, which is kind of the opposite. You know, you get hmm. within your two hours of footy, you, you get the answer, and it is pretty crash and bash in its own way. I suppose that's just. Like, like more than just one thing. Yes, yeah, no, we're not all yeah, sports nuts, but yeah, yeah. I mean, even walking away from the Easter Monday game, one point result, my team lost, but walking away, I went, How good! Like, I know I just felt, I felt a little bit sorry for people who don't enjoy sport. I know how it can be all encompassing, and but that was, it was just the narrative of it was incredible. And I think test cricket, that's one of the things is it's. You know, there's winning, losing, and drawing, but end of the day, it's really a narrative. And you look back, I think you look back on test series and test matches and go, that was amazing for that reason and that reason and that reason. I, I find that. Um, I can remember the series going back all my lifetime, really, yeah. trying to identify individual tests within a series and why they're good or, mm. or not. Whereas one day, and certainly T20, I can't remember what happened last week. But that, that might be <laughs> us, us. I think, yeah. Modern, like, modern by Kitchen Rules generation. I was sitting there watching a game. Well, if I'm kind of barracking for Australia, which clearly I do, but I love the game. But you watch it and you, you're watching someone bowl and you're thinking, what you're hoping now is he gets him out. I said, yeah, well, not really, because if that, that, I keep doing that. This is going to be over in about an hour. <laughs> I don't really want that. So, yeah. you're sort of like it's, you're kind of challenged by the game. Yeah. Like, yeah. And then all of a sudden they bat for an hour and they, they're done for 50. Oh, God, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. It's a beautiful game. It's a beautiful game. That's right. It is. I think, uh, yeah, there's plenty more I'd like to we'd like to talk about, but we generally end the show with uh, just a few questions that are more about a, a, man, a man or a woman's life philosophy, um, which we call piled, well, I call pile of weird fishes. Just don't know if Dad don't, endorsed that. Don't probe too deeply. Oh, I know. You might get to the bottom really quickly. Well, yeah. <laughs> he got the questions. You, you're the one with the answers. You're in charge. Of That's it. right. You can answer as <laughs> as weirdly or as as normally what as you uh, call it? Pile of weird fishes. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Radiohead. Uh, only by only by name. Only name. Yeah. So I've got a. Anyway, it's my favourite song, so I just call it that. But um, what do you fear? Um, death. Early death, I suppose. I've um, there's been a few of those in my life recently, and so suddenly it's come to the fore. I don't know if I would have even given you that answer mm. a year ago, but just at the moment, uh, yeah. Mm. Uh, what we're deaths we like deaths coming. Yeah. We know it's coming. Yeah. But we're, we're still fearful of it. Yeah. And you know, not accepting of it, but we know it is coming. And your age and mine, yeah. is, is, we'll get less of life to go than, than there's been already. You hear that shuffling. Yeah. It's us shuffling up the kid. Knocking knocking on heaven's door. No. <laughs> God, yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. Now, I guess the other one would be um, it hasn't happened yet. Opening up the laptop one day and just finding not one word will come out. <laughs> uh, what do you hope for? Uh, the happiness of my kids. You probably get that a lot, but yeah. that's essentially that's was, yeah. Put one above all others. That not not even success particularly or or um, riches. Just just that they're happy in what they do. So Caroline Wilson had that exact same answer. So it must be something about the age. 
Karen and I have never talked about that. Right. Uh, what makes you happy? Uh, a, a good day at a sporting event um, that I'm not covering. <laughs> if I'm covering it, I'm, I'm to a certain extent tense all the time about how I'm actually going to present this right. at the end of the day. So um, in the slightly changed role as acting sports editor, I watched your game on Monday and I knew about the history of the game. I'd been at most of them over the last 10 or 15 years, but I actually really, really enjoyed it just to sit back and watch and I guess with the added comfort of not really caring that much who won or lost, mm. but, but just enjoying it for what it was. Do you ever feel the same thing, Neil, with um, if, if uh, Richmond are playing? Rather, you'd probably more enjoy going to, say, um, the game on Monday? Oh, but, yeah, obviously, because you actually yeah. can enjoy the game yeah, rather yeah. than being concerned. We, we say we never, we're not concerned about the outcome. <laughs> we're concerned about the outcome. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we know it's not the way to do it, but you always are. Yeah. But I suppose, but that's why you know, if you, you're lucky enough to win a game, you you don't mind watching it on a replay because you mm. know what's going to happen. <laughs> you go, well, all this good stuff's going to happen. <laughs> but, no, but that's part of it. If you, yeah. if you don't care, you should get out. Yeah, true. Um, what album or book would best accompany your life story? It'd be a book rather than an album. Um, it'd probably be um, something like. Weirdly enough, Rusty or or, uh, or uh, oh. Spanish, South American Spanish, or just when you get to one, I'm just trying to think what there's an expression for what they do, magic realism. Yeah. Um, just, I, I like that sense of being half feeling half real and half yeah uh, away with the clouds. <laughs> so maybe maybe something along those lines. Um, who is the most positive influencer in the world today? Influencer. Mm. Using a very modern term there, but... Yeah. Um, figure. I'd say the Pope. Only because he's a refreshing figure. He is. In, in that role. Um, and he strikes me as highly intelligent. Um, he's under more duress uh, to have the right answer every time he speaks, but yeah. He, he doesn't shy away from saying what he thinks despite that. I don't know, probably doesn't really, um, his impact probably doesn't really shy in this country, but, but I think uh, in, the, in South America and yeah. Europe, and uh, I, think, I think his voice carries more weight and resonance than, than, than hope in my life. Mm. It's interesting that politics are a religion in a sense. Oh, yeah. like he, he needs to be. Somebody shows the way. Yeah. But you wonder, is that, do we like that to be around religion nowadays? So some, in some ways we do, in some ways we don't. Yeah. Oh, I'm not particularly religious. I went to Catholic school, sons sons for Catholic school. Um, but I, I like that he's, uh, he relates uh, religion to real life. And mm-hmm. He's using his religious authority to speak about poverty, to speak about injustice speak about um, the difference between rich and poor. Um, and, and so rather, rather than be somewhere away in the cloud. Because oh, uh, yeah. 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 So, I, I sometimes wonder about what the religions are for people, in my view, telling a story that they can believe, but 
yeah. because they don't quite get it. Yeah. And, and none of us actually get what life's about because we're not supposed to, I suppose. Yeah. But, you know, if, if, you, if you're at a, you know, a dogmatic religion, you've got to believe some stuff that yeah. you really, intellectually, you're saying, well, I don't yeah. have to believe that. Yeah. We almost got to believe that, like the Pope clearly would believe immaculate conception yeah. and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Like, pretty hard to believe, I reckon. <laughs> I mean, the revelation of it is, you know, the revelation of Jesus is, I, I sort of get it, and I think, I don't doubt that Jesus lived, I don't doubt that he was probably a decent man and did some good things, but yeah. I'm not sure all the things, the parables are true. No, 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 no. And they probably don't have to. Right? <laughs> no, no, I think they, you know, they, they were a way of explaining yeah, exactly. the world yeah, at that exactly. time. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, and you know, it feels to you and I less relevant now. And then, mm. So what happens beyond that, I agree with you strongly, is that um, some, some people hide everything behind religion. And, and, uh, yeah. I'll never forget Hansi Kronja, who clearly felt that no bad could come to him because he was a believer and, and therefore he could do as he pleased and he would be forgiven and he could go on and do the next thing. So where the odds were that that wasn't going to be true. Yeah. <laughs> That's, That's funny. It's <laughs> actually, yeah. Really funny you mentioned him. We won't talk about that, but that's a funny one you mentioned that considering it was probably the greatest, you know, cricket controversy yeah. of, yeah. of, yeah, of all time, yeah. Um, yeah, I suppose to follow on, who is the most negative figure or influencer of the world right now? Oh, I think the fairly obvious one is <laughs> Trump. I, I just detest almost everything he stands for. It seems as though he's getting... Reasonable support in the US. I, I can't figure it myself, but it's, 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 it's grown. It's grown. The support has grown, and I don't, I don't really get it. Uh, except, um, well, I, I sort of understand the, 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 what got him there in the first place. So at the end of last year, I did a train trip across America from New York to San Francisco, all by train. Um, and uh, actually, I've written a piece about it, which is in the the weekend this weekend, I'll get that right. Oh, get that. Yes. <laughs> um, and so, so I saw America away from New York, away from San Francisco, away mm. from Chicago, and, and you do get a bit of a sense of a, of a, a despair that come to overwhelm the place a bit. Same sort of thing has happened to a lesser extent here. Manufacturing disappearing, jobs going, mm. huge industrial plants just sitting there rusting and. and in my mind, that became a bit of a, meta- a metaphor for what had happened to Middle America. So you can see the forces that perhaps propelled Trump to power in the first place, but it was always impossible to me that he was ever going to restore all that, <laughs> especially with, with his plan. So, so I don't really get why why the support would be growing now because he finally says that he's done anything. Was, well, it was a lot of jingoism, wasn't it? And it was saying the right things, but... Enough. You can't figure out that if everyone's got a gun, people are going to die. Yeah, <laughs> but he's not. He's not. He's not the first one to be speaking about that because the NRA. No, I know. Yeah. yeah. It, oh, it's. How can, we, how can we be that stupid? Well, maybe, maybe, maybe the salvation is in Europe, than we think. <laughs> you complained about our belittling of your generation. Yeah. <laughs> These kids in America now. Yeah, this yeah. is yeah, exactly. an inspiring oh, thing. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the community activism at the minute. Just seems to be like, like the amount that's happening is incredible. Like you think about Black Lives Matter, then you had you had Wall, uh, Occupy Wall Street, and you had well in Australia with same sex marriage. Like all this, it's that's one thing that if. 
there's any good that's going to come of Trump and the movement to the right. There's a, also a, you know, not all, the extreme right, not just the right. Um, but I, I suppose a similar thing happened in, in Britain but where there was the... Changed. It's not a move to the left. It's a move to I don't know what. what yeah. mm. It's not leftist in a sense. No, yeah. it's, no, no, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's a home politics. Common sense. Sense. Yeah, common sense. Yeah. Yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with leftists necessarily, but it's not. But it's not yeah, it's not ideological. No, no, it's not. Um, and final question, just a just a homegrown thing. What's what's the best uh, or your go to cafe, restaurant, or bar or pub in your hometown? Which I presume you consider Melbourne. Yes. Um, uh, my partner and I moved to Flemington a bit over two years ago, having lived all our lives on the on the east side of town. Never even considered Flemington until suddenly we found ourselves there. And there's a there's a Pizza shop come uh, coffee shop at the end of our road by the station called Pepper. There's another plug. Um, <laughs> and, and we, uh, uh, that's regularly there. That's, that's Neil's, Neil's got that written yeah, with lines under there. Well, I guess the day we bought the house, we, we just blundered down to the end of the street. We didn't even know what was there yeah. um, to, to sort of have a cup of coffee or a champagne. At that stage, we weren't even sure which it would be, but we weren't even sure we'd done the right thing. <laughs> Uh, and this place was there, and we told them what they'd done, and they got a, a bottle of champagne and served it to us. So we were hooked, and now we just love the neighbourhood and yeah. love the house and it's love great. the cafe. It's great. Well, uh, yeah, Greg, thank you so much for joining us. It's uh, a pleasure, wasn't it? Uh, well, yeah. Well, uh, I enjoyed it too. Yeah, good. And congratulations to our producer and friend, Andrew Leonard, who had his uh, third child. That's a plug. Uh, <laughs> And Neil, as always, thank you as well. And we'll, we'll listen or we'll talk to you soon.